Great to see you guys. Welcome. Isn't it great to be out in God's creation? Praise the Lord, huh? This was a special weekend for us. It was great to be out in the community and serve in Project Nehemiah. And I was reminded once again how many people are hurting and they just need someone to listen and to care for them practically. As my team was going out into a neighborhood by the church, we did some real basic yard work uh, for a lady. And as it turns out, as we were cutting the hedges, she started to cry. She started to weep. We didn't know her. And she said, my husband recently passed away and these hedges were always his thing. He always took care of these perfectly and she was overcome by emotion. Just a simple, can we help you with your yard? It brought the opportunity just to love on her and to care for her and to, to pray for her. Another person that we knocked on their door, they didn't need any yard work, but the husband in the family was dying of young cancer and the wife was in tears, the, the granddaughter was in tears, just that someone would come and knock on their door. And a lot of times uh, I feel like I'm an inconvenience to people. You know, if I stop and ask them how they're doing or if they need help with, with something, it's easy to think, well, well, they're not gonna want it, they're gonna reject it, it's an, an inconvenience. But I think one thing that's really absent in our world today is definitely love and for sure God's love and you're instruments of God's love and God's placed you strategically in different parts of the city. And with that, to go with that understanding of Lord, I wanna serve, I wanna be a blessing. And a lot of times by meeting a practical need, investing in a relationship, it gives the opportunity to share uh, Jesus Christ. So hopefully Project Nehemiah is just not a one day event, but it reminds us the importance of living our lives uh, that way. Also right here in this spot on October 4th, Coming up in a few months, uh, we're going to do the Run for Revolution. There's a fun walk. There's a 5K run, jog. And we would love for you to be a part of that. The reason is to raise resources for Uganda as we're doing a work and doing a mission there. You can even use it as an outreach. If you know somebody that loves to do 5Ks or loves to walk, you can even ride your bike, bring your beach cruiser out. And the way that you sign up is going to runforrevolution.com and you fill out your information and then people support you in your run or your walk. And so that's going to be a great, great time. So go ahead today and take that step and sign up. It's going to be great and it's going to be wonderful. If you have your Bible or your iPad or your iPhone or your droid, you've got the scriptures in front of you, please turn with me to Psalms 23. Psalms Chapter 23 is it's a special service. I'm going to be doing a special message. We're looking forward to what God is going to do. So Psalms 23 and join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for being out in your creation. We love our city. We're so thankful to be a part of Colorado Springs. We're so blessed to look at the mountains every morning, every evening as we drive throughout this city. Lord, we need your touch. We need your touch in our lives. We need your touch in this city. And we just ask that you would pour out your spirit right now, that you would remind us of your character, remind us of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalms 23 has really been on my heart a lot this summer. And it's a passage that I know well, but it's yet that I've never read it or never experienced it. God is showing me more things out of Psalms 23, reminding me of his character. I hope this morning that you'll find it refreshing, you'll find it encouraging, as we sang to turn our eyes upon Jesus, we see Jesus in Psalms 23. We see his character. So let's begin right away. Jump right into it. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
And what stood out to me this summer, as I've been studying Psalms 23 and meditating upon it, is that word, my. And you might want to circle it or underline it and meditate upon it yourself. Because my tendency was to think of the Lord as the shepherd, the good shepherd as he is, but to not see it in the personal light. What David, who is the author of this psalm, is declaring is that this is personal between him and God, that God is my shepherd, that I have a personal shepherd who loves me and cares for me. And that's the real challenge with God and our knowledge of God is to make it personal. We can know things a lot about the Lord, but fail to realize that it's true in our own lives. This word, the Lord, it's Jehovah in Hebrew. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew and it emphasizes the power of God. It means the all existing one. When God speaks of his power, he says that he's Jehovah. As we're in God's creation, we think about God speaking these mountains into existence. It tells us that God stretched out the heavens, that he created the stars and he calls them by name. We don't even know how many stars there are. We can't even begin to estimate how many galaxies there are. God has created galaxies and stars that man will never know simply for the display of his own power. When God says he's the Lord, we should stand in awe of him and it makes the rest of this statement even more meaningful. It's not just that we have a shepherd, but we have the Lord as our shepherd, amen? So this is all power, all goodness, all love. The Lord, Jehovah, he is my shepherd. He's my personal shepherd. David had a lot of experience with being a shepherd. It's where he started out as a young boy taking care of the sheep. No doubt this understanding and this knowledge of God as the shepherd came from his own experience. God wants to speak to you through your experiences in life. If you're a parent, he wants to show you how he's the ultimate father through that experience. If you're a mechanic, the Lord wants to speak to you through your profession. If you're a teacher, the Lord wants to speak to you. God is speaking to David through what he did on a daily basis. So what's the role of a shepherd? What does a role do? What does the shepherd do? He tends, he cares for, he protects. These shepherds would, would lead the sheep, making sure that they had all of their needs and also protecting the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. And is that true for you? Do you find yourself connecting with God in a relational way? We're created in God's image. We hear that a lot. Well, what does that mean? God in and of himself is a relationship. God doesn't dwell alone. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There in Genesis, we find God saying, let us make man in our own image, referencing the Trinity. So as God is a relationship, we're created to be in relationship with God. Outside of our relationship with God, we're always going to be empty. We're not going to be able to enjoy the earthly relationships. That's part of being an image bearer. You're created to be in relationship with God. And also you're created, I'm created to be in relationship with one another. You're going to experience the life that God has intended as you embrace relationship with God and you embrace relationship with one another. So God gives us these truths about himself that have to do with relationship. When he says, the Lord is my shepherd, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, that's all about relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. Then David goes on to say, I shall not want. 
Now, please don't misunderstand this. This isn't that you won't have difficulty in your life, that you won't have needs in your life. But what it is declaring is I shall not lack. It's not that all my wants will be met, but God's gonna meet my needs. And it's showing the trust to the shepherd. It's us responding to the shepherd going, I trust your care for me. Now, personally, I would have liked if God would have given us a different illustration than sheep. Have you noticed the shepherd's wonderful, but there's not anything too glamorous about sheep. I'd rather be a lion, a mountain lion, even a dog for that reason, not a cat. A cat to me is below a sheep. If you're a cat lover, it's just my personal opinion. But sheep, they don't even carry burdens. They can't plow a field. They're not a horse. They're just kind of fat and kind of cute and cuddly, but primarily fat, aren't they? And they can't do a whole lot. But yet God sees the value in the sheep because he loves the sheep. And what's the job of the sheep? To simply follow. That's what we're to do is to hear the voice of the shepherd and to follow. So we go on and we look into verse two and it says, he makes me lie down in green pasture. The shepherd, Jesus, as we turn our eyes on him, he loves us and goes, oh, you're running a mile a, a minute. You're going 24 seven. You can't sleep at night because all of the things that you have on your heart and in your mind, you're filled with fear and anxiety. You're running at such a high speed that you're burning yourself up. You think of a car, you can't run a car always in fifth gear, going a million miles an hour. And so God in his love for us, as he looks at his sheep, he says, I'm gonna make you lie down. Sometimes the sheep don't know what's good for them. The sheep have this green pasture that the shepherds provided, but they don't wanna lie down in it. So the shepherd says, I'm gonna make you lie down in green pastures. This hit home for me this spring and early summer because of our two-year-old son, Wyatt. He turned two June 15th, and he got introduced to a big boy bed. He graduated out of his crib. Well, with this twin bed, he also had the ability to get out of bed. So you put him into his bed at nap time, you put him into his, his bed at bedtime, and guess what? Here comes these little feet out in the hall, party time. Let's play, right? And mom and dad, knowing what's best for him, he needs to take a nap. Every two-year-old on the planet, their life revolves around food and nap time. If two-year-olds don't get naps, nobody's happy, right? So, oh, you need to rest. You need to get in bed. And we literally had to take him back to bed, take him back to bed. And eventually he's getting it and he's understanding, I've got to rest. And I realized I'm like my son, Wyatt. God is providing rest for me, but it's difficult for me to enter into it. I'm not one who rests well. Maybe you can, can relate. I tend by personality to want to go, go, do, do, get things done. I think it's part of our culture, but God wants us to rest. Is there green pasture that he's trying to cause you to lie down in? It goes on and it tells us he makes us lie down in green pasture but then he restores my soul. He restores my soul. What's your soul? Your soul is your mind, your emotion, and your will. As we do life and as we live, we sin. Others sin against us. The difficulties and challenges of life, we desperately need to be restored. What does it mean to be restored? To be replenished, to be renewed, to be rebuilt? 
And that can only happen from the Lord. Please hear this this morning and this hot, glorious morning is you need friends to encourage you. You need brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage you, but only Christ can restore you. There's no Christian counselor that can restore you. There's no pastor that can restore you. There's no spouse that can restore you. There's no job that can restore you. Saying, what are you saying, Eric? Should I not go to Christian counseling? Absolutely, you should. And that Christian counselor should point you to who? Point you to Jesus, because he can't do it. She can't do it. A good friend can't do it. Only Jesus can do it. Robin Williams' suicide rocked the nation this last week. Completely heartbreaking. He's one of my favorite actors. Even went back and watched some of his movies this week. Extremely talented. But here he is with a broken soul to where he felt that life wasn't worth living. He had everything humanly that this world has to offer. There's not one material possession on this planet that he couldn't go out and get. But yet he found himself as a 63-year-old man with a broken soul. And the only one that can restore a soul is Jesus Christ. If you hear anything this morning is that Jesus loves you, he wants to restore you. The only place that that can happen is you come and spend time with him. As you come to these still waters, he leads me beside still waters where you listen to his voice and you say, okay, God, I'm coming to the still water that you've provided in order for you to restore my soul. Don't you find that it's great to sit by water? to sit by a creek, to sit at the ocean, to sit at a lake. There's something very calming about water. And the Lord wants to bring us to that place of rest, to that green pasture, that still waters, so he can restore us to where he can rebuild us. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his sake. God doesn't want us to always just stay in the green pasture and the still waters. They're an equipping ground, They're necessary so that we can get up and go on to the paths of righteousness. There's no doubt where God is leading us on righteous paths because he loves us and he's got a good plan for us. He knows that unrighteousness will destroy us. It said this about Jesus in Hebrews, that he hated wickedness, loved righteousness. Therefore, God anointed him with the oil of gladness above all of his fellows. Wickedness leads to death. Righteousness leads to life. Jesus had an abundant life because he was righteous. He wants us to have an abundant life and he's gonna lead us in those righteous paths. Have you ever regretted walking in the paths of righteousness? I always regret the path of wickedness. So if you're trying to tell me this morning that God is leading you in a way that's contradictory to scripture, That is an absolute bold-faced lie, and don't put that upon Jesus Christ. He's a good shepherd, and he doesn't lead people in the paths of righteousness, or wickedness, excuse me. That's your own emotion, that's your own desires, that's your own will, and anybody can spin it to be Jesus. And you'll find other Christians that will come and tell you, oh, that's the Lord, he wants you to be happy. No, God doesn't want you to be happy, he wants you to be holy, amen? Because he knows that your holiness is ultimately going to lead to your greatest benefit. The key to this verse is the last part, and I find it extremely convicting. It's for his name's sake. Are we ready to walk in the paths of righteousness so God's glorified? Or do we want to walk in the paths of righteousness so people go, oh, you're such a great husband. You're such a great wife. 
You're such a great servant of the Lord. Oh, you're, you're such a great college student. And we have to wrestle with that and say, God, I want to do this because you're so good and I hear your voice calling me, but I want you to be glorified. This is for your name's sake. God's leading us in this way for his name's sake. Verse four, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The first three verses we can live with, we can rejoice in. Oh, green pastures, still waters, restored soul, paths of righteousness. But then we get to verse four and we go, the valley? I walk through the valley of the, the shadow of death. Can, can I not go through valleys? And you know that your good shepherd will lead you through valleys at different times. If you can see the mountain, the peak's kind of hidden back there. Pike's Peak gets to the place where it's above tree line. And if you've been to the top, it's beautiful. There's a great view from the top. We all love mountaintop experiences, don't we? But where's all the vegetation? It's below tree line. Where does the fruit come in our lives? It comes in the valley. Would you attest to that? God will take us to mountaintops to rejoice in his glory, but he'll also take us through valleys so that we can grow and there can be fruit that comes in our lives. What stands out to me in verse four is you've got to walk through a valley. You've got to walk through a valley. And if you find yourself in a valley this morning, don't give up. The worst thing that you can do is sit down in the midst of this journey and say, I'm done. I'm giving up. I'm stop pursuing the Lord. I'm going to stop serving others. I'm going to stop trying to learn the lessons that I have in that. And that happens so easily. So easily happens to my heart where we just get complacent. We have a complacent heart where we don't have any desire to learn. We don't have any desire to change. We don't have any desire to get through the valley. So I'm just tired. I'm just beat up. I don't feel like walking anymore. And Jesus is there and his presence is with us. And he's saying, I know it's hard, but you gotta keep going. You gotta keep going one step at a time. As a family, we like to go hiking. And anytime when you go out on a hike, there comes to that point where you gotta turn back and go to the car or you've gotta finish the loop. And I find myself sharing with the kids, hey, there's one way home. There's one way back to the van and that's one foot at a time. If you give up and you stop here, you're stuck in the wilderness. We don't have a choice. We've got to keep walking. And you're too big for me to carry you. I can't carry all four kids. So come on, let's go one foot at a time, one foot at a time. And that's the voice of our good shepherd saying, I want you to keep going. I want you to walk through this valley. Notice that it also says the valley of the shadow of death. Death is brutal. The grave is never satisfied. I hate gravesides. When I go and do a graveside for someone in our church, it just breaks my heart. It rips me up inside. The most difficult is to see a couple bury their child at a graveside. And that moment where they're wrestling and watching their child go into the ground and then ultimately comes to the point where they've got to walk away from that grave. They've got to say goodbye to their child in this life. A few weeks back, stillbirth, graveside, there with the parents, parents expecting for the baby to be born, death instead of life, absolutely heartbreaking. I hate it. I can't stand it. But I have hope. Why? Because it's only the shadow of death. See, Jesus went to the tomb. We focus on the cross, which we should. 
but we can't leave out the resurrection of Christ. Jesus was buried. He went to the tomb. He knows what graveside feels like from going to Lazarus' grave to experiencing his own tomb. Then he rose from the dead. Hey, guess what? We can celebrate the resurrection even though it's not Easter. Amen? And Christ is risen. That's good news. And because Christ is risen, death wears your sting. Now for us as believers, it's just the shadow of death. It's not the reality of death. Death is the graduation to bring us home with the Lord. We'll keep going here. In this valley, David says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As we walk through valleys, our tendency is to be in a place of fear. Unknown, pain, overwhelmed, confusion, and fear seems to come in. When David makes a choice here, and he says, I'm not going to fear evil. David is facing enemies as we read through this. He's in a valley, and he's reflecting on how God is his shepherd. Now, what's the answer to fear? It's God's very presence. Yes, it's the promises of God that we know about who he is. Yes, it's the comfort of other believers. But more than anything else, it is the presence of God. It's coming into the arms of your heavenly father. It's crying out, daddy, would you comfort me? I can trust you, shepherd, you're with me. And because you're with me, I don't need to be afraid. As I look throughout scripture, it's always the presence of God that's the answer to fear. Think about this. This is so hard for us to grasp. The shepherd, the creator, Jehovah, our crucified risen savior, he is with you. Right now where you sit in this hot sun, if you're blessed to have an umbrella, we're envious. We've been struggling with envy the whole time as you've been sitting under your tent. No, just joking. Lord bless you in your shade. If you're in the shade, if you're in the sun, God is with you. As you go to work on Monday morning, he's with you. As you scream and yell in traffic, the Lord is with you. As you go to bed at night and you're wrestling and the fear comes over you, he's with you, he's with you, he's with you. The Lord is with you. And he promised, Jesus promised, he'll never leave us or forsake us. Even when we fail, even when we're faithless, even when we're screaming and yelling in traffic and losing our temper and doing things that we shouldn't, he's with us. He won't leave us in the valley. Your rod and your staff, they'll comfort me. Why would the rod and the staff of the shepherd comfort David? David was a shepherd and he would use the rod and the staff to do two things. To protect from the enemy when the wolves would come in, when the lions would come in. What would David do? He would use his rod and his staff. Know that you're protected, you're valued to God. You're his valuable sheep. You're his valuable son and daughter. He's going to use his rod and staff to comfort you. Also, the staff was used to guide the sheep. What David's saying here is it comforts me to know God's going to protect me, but he's also going to lead me through this valley. Most of the trials and the difficulties in life are a season. You will come to the other side. Some will last for the rest of this life, but ultimately when we go to heaven, we'll find the rejoicing and the comfort. Verse five, and then into verse six, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God loves food. He absolutely loves it. It was his idea. He created us to need to eat three times a day, maybe five times a day. I I lean more towards the five times a day. 
but he designed us that way. He could have caused us to be like an iPhone where we just plug in. Wouldn't that be nice? You go to bed at night and you just say, I'm going to plug into the nutrition and I'm going to program in all the good stuff and I don't have to worry about eating. You don't have to go to the grocery store, no more Costco, Walmart, all those things. Man, that would be nice. But God says, I want you to have to sit down and eat. And he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. What's David saying here? He's got real enemies. He knows that he's gonna have the victory. How rewarding this would be for David to sit in a place of victory over his enemies. God's gonna prepare this for him. I believe God does have a feast prepared for us on the other side of a valley. A time of rejoicing. Ultimately, it's the marriage feast of the lamb, isn't it? When we get to heaven, it is gonna be the heavenly buffet. Can you imagine the bananas in heaven? Can you imagine the chocolate in heaven? And food that we can't even begin to grasp. And God says, I can't wait to bring you to this place. I've prepared a table before you. And then David says, you've anointed my head with oil. My cup runs over. This speaks of God's blessing. In the Old Testament, kings were anointed, priests were anointed. And they would take the olive oil and they would just pour it all over their head. And it speaks of God's presence and the Holy Spirit. And what David is saying is God is pouring out his spirit upon me. He's pouring out his blessing upon me, his spiritual blessing. Your anoint runs over. Or you, you anoint my head with oil and then the cup runs over. This speaks that God is filling my heart to such a degree that it's spilling out to others. Spilling out to others. If you've been to what do they call that in San Diego with the whales? Help me out. SeaWorld. If you've been to SeaWorld, how many of you guys been to SeaWorld? Yeah, it's a fun spot. And you've got the whale show with Shamu and all that stuff. And if you sit in the splash zone, you want to get wet, right? They kind of say, hey, these rows are the, the splash zone. And if you, you sit here, you're going to get wet and you make the choice. And basically this is what's saying from our lives is there's a splash zone. There's so much good things that are coming out of our lives that it just spills out onto others. Jesus spills out onto others. Last verse, verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David's confident that God's gonna continue to be good and God's gonna continue to be merciful. That mercy and goodness are gonna follow him all the days of his life. And we can have that same confidence about the character of God. Also, I think this represents a life that's been touched by God's goodness and mercy. Then goodness and mercy is going to follow us because God's been good to me. He's been merciful to me. So when I'm impacted by his mercy and grace, then I tend to extend that to others. And mercy and goodness, it follows my life. It's a, it's a trail in my life. The last thought here, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is twofold. First, David is saying, through the course of this life, you're going to find me planted in God's house. Through the valleys that I go through, the anchor to my soul is going to be God's house. It's going to be God's presence. It's going to be the good shepherd. Think about the valleys that David went through in his life. Saul trying to kill him. His own son revolting against him, Abimelech. David's own failure with adultery and murder. His valleys were immense, but throughout all of these valleys and even personal failure, 
David never turned away from the one true living God. He never went into idolatry, which was huge for for the Old Testament. He made the decision, I'm going to dwell in God's house. Another psalm, Psalms 92, speaks about when we make this decision that we're going to put our roots into God's people and God's presence. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. You want to bear fruit in old age? You want to be fresh and flourishing in old age? You want to be like the palm tree? Well, guess what? Plant yourself in the house of God. You're never going to regret making that commitment to be in fellowship with other believers. But also David is saying, I know my future is certain. I'm going to dwell in the house of God forever. I know my eternity is going to be set with the Lord. That's always knowing that the good shepherd is going to lead us to that ultimate destination. So in a few moments here, we're going to move into baptism. And some of you have signed up to be baptized. I believe some of you didn't sign up to be baptized, but the Lord is moving on your heart on this day. And we're going to just kind of gather around here, around these baptismals and celebrate. So let me explain what baptism is. It's a public declaration that your life belongs to Jesus Christ. It's like this wedding ring. It doesn't make me married, but it's a symbol that I'm committed to my wife. And baptism doesn't save you, but it's a public declaration that your life belongs to Christ. Why be baptized? Because Jesus commanded it. He didn't suggest it. He commanded it. He said, if you're my disciple, be baptized. Declare me before men. Also, it's symbolic of the fact that you're in Christ. You've received Christ as your savior You're buried with Christ and now you're risen in newness of life. That's already happened. And this is a spiritual lesson to always remember. Oh, I got wet at America, the beautiful park. All my sin, past, present, and future is buried with Christ and risen in newness of life. So if you have signed up to be baptized or you desire to be baptized, after this closing song, we're gonna meet with you right down in front here, in front of this truck and pray with you. And then we'll start baptizing you. So please come down right after uh, the last song and we'll begin baptism. And now as I close, I want to do two things. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And I know it's hot, but if you know Christ, would you please be praying? And first it's for those of you that do know Christ, you are in Christ, but you say, you know what? I've walked away from Christ. Instead of being in the green pasture of fellowship with Jesus, I'm in some pastures that I shouldn't be in. Instead of walking in the paths of righteousness, I've been walking in the paths of wickedness. And maybe you come on a regular basis and you've tried to say, well, I go to church. I read my Bible occasionally. And so I must be right with the Lord. But in your heart, you know that you've walked away from God and God is calling you back to himself, the prodigal saying, come home, come back. And I want you in just a moment to raise your hand to the Lord and I'm going to say a prayer with you. And then for those that you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, and I want to try to explain this accurately, is that we're separated from sin, from God. Why does it make it that we all just can't go to heaven? If God is loving, why doesn't he just let everybody go to heaven, whether they believe in Jesus or not? Because we sin. 
And sin is to miss the mark if you're shooting at a target. It's when we lie, when we steal, when we have anger in our heart and lust and covetousness. And because of that, God would not be just if he didn't stand up to our sin, if he didn't punish our sin. And that's why Jesus had to die. He took the punishment for our sin upon the cross. But we have to respond to that invitation. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. So there's a repentance. It's, I've been in charge of my life. I've been heading into sin, and I'm turning away from my sin, believing that Jesus is God, that he died for my sin, that he rose again, asking him to be my savior and be the Lord of my life. So after you receive Christ, will you never sin again? No, but it's a transfer of power of saying, Jesus, you sit upon the throne of my life. So two prayers, two opportunities to respond, one to come back to Christ and the other to receive Christ as your savior. You say, well, what's gonna happen after I raise my hand? We'll give you an opportunity to come down, meet with some pastors, and we'd just like to pray with you. Make sure you get a new believers packet and a Bible. We're not gonna embarrass you or try to sign you up for anything. And you might be sitting way in the back of the park or underneath a tree or, or way over here, way beyond where I can see you. But it's not about me seeing you. It's about God seeing you and you responding and raising your hand to Christ. So one responding to coming back to the Lord and one responding of receiving him for the first time. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the chance to think about you and you being our good shepherd. And it's scary to go through life alone where we're leading and guiding our own lives. God, you know your children. You know those that have walked away from you. Lord, that have played the game and they've played it well, but yet you're calling them to a place of walking with you in rich fellowship. If that's you and you need to respond in that way to come back to the Lord, would you go ahead and just raise your hand and hold it up and leave it up and I'm gonna say a prayer with you. So right now, now's your chance to respond. I'm coming back to the Lord. Father, you see these hands that are raised, those that are saying, I'm coming back to you, Jesus. God, thank you for loving them, never forsaking them. Lord, may you just implant your love deep into their hearts. And we pray blessing upon them as they come back to you today. Lord, that they would find green pastures, that you would restore their soul, that you would lead them in paths of righteousness. You'd walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death. You can put your hands down. And if you'd like to receive Christ, you're saying, I know I'm a sinner. I've never put my faith in Jesus Christ as my savior. Please take it seriously and consider it. But if God's touching your heart and you wanna make that decision today. Would you raise your hand and would you raise it up high and just leave it up? And I'm going to say a prayer with you today and say, Christ, I want to be your child. I want to belong to you. God's touching your heart. Let's lift your hand to the Lord and say this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again. I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin. I receive your forgiveness be the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me and thank you for forgiving me. Father, we pray for those that have responded to the gospel. We ask that you would bless them, that you would encourage them and that they would grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord, God is good. If you did respond in receiving Christ or rededicating your life uh, to Christ, please come down. The pastoral team is here. Let us know that you respond. If you desire to be baptized, 
whether you signed up or you didn't sign up, if you know Christ and you're ready to make that public declaration, then please come. And the heart of this time to get together at, at the park is also to hang out and fellowship, to enjoy one another, to enjoy relationship. The fountain is supposed to come on for the kids about 11 o'clock or so. The city turns that on and so you can stay and enjoy some Frisbee and enjoy, enjoy the water. So let's stand together and let's worship.